Lord, as we take time to pray for each other, lead us, God. But first, as we hear your words now in Scripture, Lord, let this time be time, Lord, where we are truly blessed and fed, Lord, but we recognize all the words sung mean nothing, Lord, if there is no obedience in our hearts. So open our hearts, Lord, even now, to hear your word, God. Today's text is Matthew 12, um, verse 1 to 21. So if you have a Bible, turn there. It's Matthew 12, verse 1, and it says this. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck the heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. But if, if, but if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have contemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And now, when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue, and behold, there was a man who had a withered hand, and they asked him, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that they might accuse him? And then he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. And then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him, how they might destroy him. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Yet he warned them not to make him known, that it might be fulfilled spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. He will not call nor cry out nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and smoking flax he will not quench till he sends forth justice to victory. And in his name, Gentiles will trust. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us through it, Lord. 
that, Lord, you would speak to the very depths of our hearts and motives and that you'd begin to change and shape us. So may you bless this time. So, we have one of these super thick, gooey, beautiful, rich sections of Scripture. And it's like every bit of it comes with this Old Testament context. And we pull from Hosea 6 and, and we have from Isaiah 42. And it's just beautiful and rich. And First Samuel 12 as we look at David's situation. And if you read through it, we kind of go, uh-huh, uh-huh. But it's sort of like, I don't, I don't know about you, but I actually really like museums if I feel like I have some relationship with the material. And I was never a big fan of, of history or any of that until... Uh, I fell in love with Jesus. And all of a sudden, history had a purpose to me other than me just having to study for a test. And, uh, and I married a girl that, you know, she's, she lives in the past in that sense. She just loves history. So I think the Lord prepared me for that as well. Uh, and the reason I say that is, is that we are going to be able to take a look at these beautiful, if you will, these painting moments these clip moments of events in Christ's history here in Matthew. And then what we'll be able to do is we're going to kind of take that picture that's on the front and walk through that hallway for a second and see the, the depth of, of purpose and meaning behind this uh, in these supporting texts of where this is birthed. So look at it with me, Matthew chapter 12. And I want you to do this for a moment. Go back for a moment to chapter 11. I want to set the context for this. Lord, again, just let your word burst open and come alive. Let your scripture just impact every one of us. Every second purposeful, God, bespoke to each of our needs. Give us ears to hear and hearts to receive, minds that can entertain and grab a hold of this information. And Lord, please let us get this. I mean, let us get this in a way that it all fits into some beautiful package in our heart where it says, all right, change needs to happen. And God, you have permission to make whatever change you need to. So, God, I just thank you for this text. I thank you for the, for the beauty and the richness of this text. And I thank you so much for every person who's here. Lord, may we truly be engulfed in you today. So, Lord, please open our hearts now. And may every second be perfect within your will, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I would say today, as I would any, please don't just believe me, don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures, let the Bible always be your authority. Now, does anyone need a Bible? Raise your hand. Cam, you're awesome. And she's going to bring one over to you in an awesome fashion. When we first moved to the central coast of California, we prayed for verses. For a verse or something to give us clarity on, on what the ministry will look like. Uh, as we prepared our hearts to serve the people of the Central Coast. And, and what he gave us there was Ezekiel 34. As God is, in essence, pronouncing judgment on the bad shepherds who were beating the sheep instead of feeding the sheep. That were eating the sheep, if you will, instead of, of helping, of, of, of actually investing and in blessing them. Uh, and so what's interesting is we saw that when we got there, we really saw lots of people very abused by religion, very abused. And by the way, religion for the sight of, of most people outside of these walls, it really for them, it's just kind of tradition mixed with politics. And that's kind of religion in the sight of people. And, and, and understand that was kind of what people were really abused by. And we, and we kind of came in and, and we saw this. And, he, and I remember God showing us, he says, you know, the, when it talked about the weak and the, and the and the diseased and the lost and the driven away and how they really hadn't been served. And God says, so I'm telling you, you're fired and I'm coming in and I'm going to do it myself. 
And God showed me that list and said, this is what your church is going to be. And then we moved here. And we prayed the same. Interesting. God kept putting this, you know, this 10-20, 10-20 on my heart. And, and, and it was my children. I'm like, wow, was it like a time? Is it a date? And it was interesting. It was my children that said, hey, well, how about a scripture? Maybe it's a scripture. And I remember going, all right, Lord, well, then what book? And the Lord brought me to, to Matthew. And this verse was the verse for our fellowship. Look at it with me because it puts the context for all of what we have here. It's pulled ultimately out of Isaiah 42. But he says in verse 20, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench, till he sends forth justice or judgment or the verdict to victory. And I remember that thinking, wow, okay. You know, there's certain verses you kind of want God to give you at a moment like that about how all the earth would be impacted and all these people repenting. And there's so many verses you could grab a hold of. I mean, I'm thankful it wasn't Judas hung himself. But when we got to this, I realized I'm like, OK, so what we're looking at are bruised reeds. What we're looking at are smoldering flaxes. And there's a tenderness in Christ. That is very different from man's way. Before we even develop this text, please understand this. Man is a way about handling things that's very different from God. A reed, it's bamboo. Now, it all depends on where you come from. If you come from the Middle East, it's very different from, for instance, if you come from the Far East. In the Far East, you eat it. In the Middle East, you use it for building. They grow these really big, honking things that look like didgeridoos on steroids. I mean, they're just really... And they hold up roofs as they build everything in between. It is really profound. And they, they're structural, is the point. Actually, there are places in the, in the Far East as well that use it for building material. They grow fast, they're plentiful, they're strong. But they're there to support. They're there to hold up. But what happens when it gets bruised? Well, when it gets bruised, what that means is it no longer has the strength at the moment to be able to hold that up, which it's supposed to hold up. And man's natural approach at a time like that is just break it off and call it stumpy. Maybe use it for fire at this point. And the reason is, is because we know that a bruised reed is less serviceful from a worldly perspective. A smoldering flax. That's a wick. Traditionally, you wore your clothes until they wore out. Today, we buy our clothes with holes in them. There was a day we bought them and we earned those holes. And you pay more, ironically, for someone else to, to rip holes in your clothes before you put them on. But when they got to the point where they were so shredded you could no longer wear them, they would grind them down and turn them into wicks. That was actually what your wick was, was last year's hand-me-downs. And you have an oil lamp, and that oil lamp, of course, has oil in it. But when the oil runs out, it's still trying to stay lit. It, when it was in its day, it brought light, and everybody was thankful for it. It guided people from one place to the next. It was, without it, nothing else really happened once darkness came near it was the one thing you always turned to when things felt dark. But now the oil is, is run out. 
Or it seems so. So now it's smoking. And when it's smoking, it irritates. It irritates because it gets in your eyes and it gets in your nose. And, and it reminds you that this used to produce great light. This used to be so useful. And now it's not. And man's approach to that is it irritates me and because it irritates me, let's just put it out. That's not God's way. God's way is to, because what God can do, man can't. And that's why we would dispose of it. But see, what God would do is he could heal that bamboo. What God can do is he can pour oil back in the lamp and bring it back to light. We just can't see that. In chapter 11, as we prepare for this chapter, Jesus told us that the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. Doesn't enjoy it. Since the time of John the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And the violence seek to take it away by force. The word take it is the word harpazo. We get in the, in the Latin is the word rapturas, for which we get the word rapture. It means to snatch away, violently snatch away. And the idea is that there are those who are going to fight and even seek to, to violently snatch away the kingdom since John has been coming, since John spoke of repentance. This is not a good thing. This is not a challenge to be violent to take the kingdom because the kingdom is suffering because of it. Suffering. He tells us that in this suffering, Jesus then turns and says, it's like a generation that says, we played the songs for you and you didn't dance. We pumped up the beats and you sat in your seats. And we played the mourn, the dirge, and you didn't weep with us. There was both. There was that of the, of the mourning and there was that of the dancing. And then Jesus said, John the Baptist came. He didn't eat. He didn't drink. And well, I mean, he, was, he ate food, but it wasn't like he sat with tax collectors and he never, never went near wine. And yet in all of that, they said that he was a demon. They said. Who was the they? Well, the last they was the, those who seek to take it by force. And he goes, and here I am, I sit with people, and I, and I sit there, and they call me a glutton and a wine-bibber because I'm sitting with sinners. They say that too. He goes, well, wisdom will really be known by your children. Please hear me on this as, as I close this door back here so you guys don't get so cold. That We read that the law came through Moses in John 1. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John 1.13 There's two sides. Paul tells us in Romans 1 to consider the kindness and the sternness of God. There's both. On one side, there is this necessity of being serious and genuine repentance about our sin. Not just going, yeah, that's bad, whatever. Stop telling me about it. For goodness sakes, will you stop telling me? But it's like, look at, are we really dealing with our sin and seeking to really get rid of it? Or are we just kind of going, you know, let's not talk about this anymore. And there's the mourn. The mourning because we look at our sin and something inside of us goes, ah, 
I hate this. Instead of just going, stop it, you're bothering me. There's a difference. Yes, man, but there's this morning and you won't mourn with us. But on the other side of it, there's a relationship. And that relationship is to celebrate. It's the reason why we mourn. We mourn because we love God so much that this is interfering with my relationship. This thing, yeah, I like it and it feels good and it massages me and it does whatever. And it lifts me up and I feel good about myself. But I feel good about myself while I'm dying. And because this relationship is so important, this really makes me mourn. And because this really makes me mourn, this relationship makes me dance. It makes me celebrate. And there's both sides to that. And Jesus goes, do you realize what you're missing in all of this? This is the balance which we walk. You see, without either of these, we really don't embrace the kingdom the way we should. This says I need a Savior, and this says I have a Lord. And we need both. Because if we don't recognize we're sinners, then what in the world, why would we even need a Savior in the first place? But if we recognize that Jesus has paid the price, then we invest in the relationship for which He died for and rose again. And Jesus ends chapter 11 with this. Come. All you who are labored and heavy laden, you're exhausted, you're, so, you're trying so hard and you are pooped. Come, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Okay, let me ask you, according to that verse, what did Jesus offer? I mean, this, is, this should be an easy, listen, come, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What did Jesus offer? Okay, come on now, you got more in you than that. What did he offer? Yeah, now that you know that's the right answer, right? So what did he offer? Okay, now listen to the verse again. Come, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you... Okay, so what do we have to do to get that rest? Come! Did you get that? That's it. Jesus didn't say, memorize this, do this, do this, climb these steps, crawl it on your knees, make sure this... He goes, you got to come to me. Come to me, and I will give you... Oh, you're hurting me here. Come to me, and I will give you... Hey, come on there, you've got more in you than that. Come to me, and I will give you... Thank you, we're getting somewhere. Now listen, the whole point is Jesus is saying there are those and they're trying to take away the kingdom because what they're doing is they're trying to say, look at, we don't need to deal with our sin. No, 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 let's stop talking about all of that. We don't want to be pure or any of that. We don't want to, we just, let's just talk and feel good about ourselves. And let's, let's just kind of join hands and grow. And you know what happens? The moment that there's others that want to deal with being pure, they're becoming enemies of this because it doesn't make us feel good. But there's nothing like being made pure by Christ and being able to say, I forsake that. Not just, I don't want to do that again, whatever, but I forsake that. But then on the other side of it, if we just do that, then we dry up and die and we just, we, we internally implode. But on this side of it, there's a God who loves us so much that it makes this worth it. And I get that. And he's like, I'm just asking, if you come to me, I will give you rest. Interesting, these first 21 verses... There's one main point in this whole primary issue on this. These guys are, are grabbing wheat, and we're going to see this in a moment, rubbing it in their hands, but they're being accused of breaking the Sabbath. What is Sabbath? Rest. Did you get it? And then we move from that to the next thing with a guy with a withered hand, but the reason why Jesus, they're having a problem with Jesus calling him out to see him healed is that he's doing it on the 
Sabbath. Do you see what they're doing? What's interesting is you've got a guy with a withered hand. You've got guys provided for. And do you see the provision, the dance, and you see the mourning and the withered hand? Do you see that again? And in both cases, there's this call. And here's the crazy part. All Jesus is asking them to do is to come. And if they were willing to come, he would give them right. And that's what we're missing. See, the problem is we can come with the sin, but we come with the sin to leave it. We want to rest from that sin, but we have to rest in him and resting in him. We let him cleanse us from it. But we want to hate this so that when he does cleanse us, we don't fight him for it. Somebody's like, I want to get rid of that. I want to get rid of that relationship. I want to get rid of this thing. And I want to get this thing you're holding on to. That it's hurting those who love you. And it's hurting those who want to see you prosper in Christ. But you're holding on to it because it makes you feel good. Why though? Would it make you feel as good as if you just held on to Christ and you rested? Because there's the problem. So look at this beginning text. It tells us here, by the way, as we see that they're walking through the grain fields. And it's on the Sabbath. And his disciples were hungry. It's encouraging to know that that happened to them too. And began to pluck heads of grain and eat. The Pharisees saw it. They said, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Now, I don't know what the Pharisees are doing in the field. But what's pretty evident at this point is that they had, they are searching to find fault. Instead of to issue grace, they're seeking to find fault. It tells us, by the way, and we have countertexts in Mark 2 and Luke 6, that in Mark 2, verse 23, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. As we see here, it's always them, not Jesus doing this. In Luke 6, 1, we read the second Sabbath after the first. It always works that way. His disciples plucked the heads of grain and ate them, rubbing them with their hands. We read that the Pharisees also go after his disciples to try to nail him on it in Luke 6, too. Well, here's the problem. <clears throat> By the day that Jesus was walking the earth in the flesh that we know him in this text... The commandment to keep the Sabbath had turned into 39 volumes of Sabbath categories on how to keep it. Though there are 600 and was it 623 different commandments in one manner or another throughout the entire Torah, keeping the Sabbath, the commentary quadrupled that amount of what because every time it's like, okay, you can't work. Well, what does that mean? We know, for instance, from Exodus 35, you can't light a fire. From Exodus 16, that you can't go on a journey. From Jeremiah 17, you can't carry a load. You, from Ezra, we're not supposed to do business. Okay, so what does that look like? From, from Genesis, according to God rested from creating, so we can't create or destroy. So what does that look like? Well, what does that really mean then? So this is what it started to look like. Creating. Because you couldn't create. On a Shabbat, you couldn't make sandwiches. You're probably aware of the fact sandwiches you are creating. Now, the good news is the Shabbat is a Saturday, so next Sunday when we do our panini thing, we're still going to be okay. You couldn't play a game where you kept score or you couldn't write anything down. Because if you were writing something down, you were creating. No poetry, none of that stuff. You couldn't do any of that on Shabbat. No destroying, because you couldn't destroy, by the way. There was a debate over using toilet paper. Because when you use toilet paper, you have to tear the square. 
So therefore, in the ultra-Orthodox homes, and I kid you not, they have boxes of tissues. Now, I don't know about you, but the, I don't want to develop it too much. <clears throat> but you're kind of destroying it once you are using it, regardless of what you're doing with it, in my opinion. But just the same, you're not tearing it. There's the idea. Now, you couldn't take a bath on the Shabbat, because if you did, well, then you would, if you spilled any of it on the floor beside you, technically, you were cleaning the floor. You could spit on a rock, but you couldn't spit on a rock in any way that it could roll onto the ground, because if it was on the ground, then you were watering, and that's farming, and we all know that's work. Because you can't light a fire, you can't adjust your thermostat, because if it's too cold, well, then that's going to light a fire. You couldn't start your car, because you're probably aware. Now, maybe you might be able to with a Tesla thing, that's debatable. But certainly you couldn't otherwise, because it's a combustion engine, and that means you have to light a fire to get the car going. You couldn't use your fridge unless before Shabbat you unscrewed the light bulb. Because you're probably aware that once the light bulb goes on, it's incandescent, and that means you're lighting a fire. You couldn't, and, and this is one of my favorites, ladies, chocolate was forbidden, or is forbidden, on the Shabbat. You're probably aware why, right? Because if you hold it in your hand too long, technically, you're baking. Just letting you know. Because when the Israelites set camp in the book of Exodus, that the farthest distance appeared to be roughly about a thousand meters, you were allowed to walk a thousand meters, and that was as far of a journey as you could take. Well, the problem is, well, that's why you had, oh, you know, at least 364, 665, debatably 480 different synagogues in Jerusalem, because what that allowed is that you didn't have to go that far. So can you imagine, you're at, we're at the door and someone asks you here, how far did you come to get here? And you said it was over a thousand you know, a thousand meters, and then they just killed you because you broke the Sabbath. A uh, hundred meters, I'm sorry. You can imagine. You were not allowed to carry a, uh, a load, so that becomes a problem because they ask, well, what's a load? Is a load the same for everyone? I mean, is the load the same for somebody really big and strong as it would be for someone else? Well, they're like, well, let's just make it so that nobody, it's a load for no one. So they came to the conclusion that the weight was two dried figs. Which means you couldn't carry anything heavier than two dried figs, because if you did... That was a load. We are probably aware of the fact that the change in your pocket is heavier than two dried figs. Your phone is heavier than two dried figs. But in those days, you wouldn't have had much of the phone thing. But you would have had, for instance, false teeth or a wooden leg or a glass eye. You couldn't put any of those in or on because that was heavier than two dried figs. You couldn't put on a hat that was heavier or jewelry that was heavier. You couldn't move furniture because that was carrying a load, unless, of course, it was a ladder for whatever reason you could take that four steps. Because you couldn't do any business. You couldn't do anything, but you, what you do is, and this is what happens with a lot of ultra-Orthodox in Israel, is that on Shabbat, or right before Shabbat, they move into a hotel that's Gentile-run, so that they don't have to light a fire, the Gentiles do it, and so forth. But how do you pay? Well, that's simple. They give their credit card at the beginning, and then what happens is, is that they don't charge them until Sunday. That's how that works. The sad part is, is why God wanted us to rest. And don't miss this. The whole point of it was, consider this. What day was man made on of the days? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. What day was man made? Six. Excellent. I know some of you are like, "Uh uh-oh, I don't want to get this wrong. This is a Bible question. Sixth day. So for us, the first day of the week is Sunday. So what is the sixth day of the week then? Friday. Can you imagine God's about to make man and he's like, thank me, it's Friday. I mean, think about how he could do that. Now, the reason I say that is, is that why did God make the Sabbath? Because God was pooped from saying light be and there was. And then saying it was good. 
So get the idea. What God does on the sixth day is he makes man. And then he says, tomorrow I'm taking the day off. Why? Because he wants to spend it with the man he made. See, the problem is, is resting is supposed to be not resting first and foremost from, but resting with. What keeps you from resting with God? That's the point. The problem is you could do nothing but play PlayStation, which apparently isn't forbidden. And you'd be like, oh, I kept the Sabbath. And God's like, no, no, you haven't. But you're not allowed to harvest. You're not allowed to thresh. You're not allowed to prepare food. You're not allowed to to reap. So what happens when a bunch of disciples are walking through and they pluck a head of grain and it's, you know, it's, it's got the husks and they go like this then so that all that's left are the wheat nuts and they start to eat it. They have reaped, they've harvested, they've prepared food, they've husked. I mean, they've done a lot of work. So Jesus, imagine, so they're like, ha ha! I mean, imagine what it would be like. Could you imagine what it would be like to have some people following you around everywhere you went just to find you do something wrong so they could go, ah, ah, could you imagine? I mean, and think this is God in the flesh we're talking about. At any moment, Jesus could get irritated and go, boom, and they blow up, and he's just got quiet, but he doesn't do it. How easy would that have been? But to think of the non-retaliation of the Lord who knows that these people are going to get him to the cross, but he needs to so that he could redeem us. And they're like, ah, we've got you now. <laughs> you, you picked grain and ate it. And Jesus says, listen, listen. Do you not hear? Haven't you read what happened with David? And I go, hmm. Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? Those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread. It was not lawful for him to eat. And those who were with him, but only the priests. So he starts with this. He goes, let's start with what we have for precedent in Scripture. What does Scripture say? Not just what do your feelings say? What do your traditions say? What did the church council decide? What does Scripture say? And I love this about Jesus. Jesus always is going to take it straight back to Scripture and say, well, let's compare it to what we know in Scripture. So here's the story, and forgive me for the length on it, but, but, but we kind of have to get a little bit of context in it. Hear me on this. David is the second, if you will, ordained physical king before the people. The first being a guy named Saul who had an amazing calling, but no consecration. And, and what happens ultimately is, in his refusal, listen, listen, in his refusal to obey God, in his refusal to obey God, God fires him. He says, you're done. You have not done what I've called you, and because you've not done what I've called you, here's your P45, your pink slip, you're done. Get out. But Saul has no interest in leaving. He keeps the throne. He keeps the, 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 the crown. He keeps the robe. And he walks around as he's king, but he's not God's king anymore. There's another guy that's God's king. And the guy that's God's king is at this point roughly a teenager. If we do the math, he's probably not even old enough to drive. He can't even buy cigarettes, which is okay. You know, it's like, and he's, he's a kid. His voice is cracked. And he's got pimples. And he's going to take on the Goliath. And you imagine he's like, and God says, I found somebody better than you. And here's Saul. He's a head taller and he's great looking and he's a man. 
Mercedes. And he's like, yeah, I found somebody better. He's like, hi, that's your replacement. This guy, this kid. But Saul, because he will not obey God, and because he's determined, listen, listen, because he's determined to look like he's obeying God, but he's not. Because he's determined to do all of the outside stuff, but he's not willing to surrender to God what God says. Because he's willing to go, hey, everything's good, and this is as good as it gets, and check me out, I'm alright, we're great. But inside, he's disobeying God. And because he's made those allowances, he sees his replacement, and instead of submitting and backing down, he wants to kill him. That's the point. So David then flees. As David flees, he goes to this high priest, Abiathar, and as he goes to him, he's like, I need, I need some food. I'm fleeing for my, you know, he's not telling him I'm fleeing for my, he's like, I, I'm on a secret mission. And the priest goes, well, we don't have any food here, really, other than this bread. But listen to this beautiful text, because I want you to hear what it says. It's First Samuel, and if you can, turn there for a moment so you can check me, so you know I'm not making this stuff up. If, you're in the, if you can get to the Old Testament, you have the Torah, that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Then you have Joshua, Judges, Ruth. And then you have the Samuels. 1 Samuel chapter 21. Go ahead and get that. Or flip in your app if you like. In 1 Samuel 25, the priest is like, well, look at we, may, we really don't have any food except for the bread that is the bread of the showbread, the table, the bread for the table of showbread. This was like traditionally, it was cooked once a week, and it was 12 loaves that were put up on display to say, this is how God provides. This is a symbol of God's provision. And it was there for a week, and after the week was there, listen, it was considered holy because it was on this beautiful, you know, on this table of showbread, and it testified of God's goodness. And it was there for a week, and after the week was done, they would take it down and put new bread up. That was the idea. Now, the Jews say traditionally that it stayed hot the whole time. I have a hard time with it because here it says we replaced it with hot bread. If it was still hot, they would be like, we replaced it with more hot bread. Just the same. Here's the point. So he's like, well, we really don't have anything but this table, this, the showbread. And he goes, you know what? So if you guys, have, if, because he, you know, if you guys have kept themselves from everything, from girls and all that, and they're like holy. And this is David's response, 1 Samuel 21, 5. David answers the priest and he says to him, truly women have been kept from us about three days since I came out. All the vessels of the young men are holy and the bread is in effect. What's the word there? Common. Do you see that? The bread is in effect common, even though it was sanctified in the vessel this day. So the priest gave him the bread, but there was no bread there for the showbread, except for the showbread, which had been taken from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place on the day that it was taken away. Did you see that? Here's the point. Jesus is, boy, you don't even see, perhaps, how Jesus is digging it in here. He's like, look at David's like, I'm hungry. We really need to feed these guys. And he's like, well, we really only have the bread that's the show bread. And, you know, that's holy. And David goes, yeah, but it was holy when it was before the Lord. It was holy when it was serving its purpose. But its purpose is done. And because its purpose is done and it was taken from before the Lord, now it's just as common as any other bread. The priest is like, yeah, okay, good point. Go ahead and have it. Did you get that? Well, understand, what is David dealing with? That is Saul. Saul is 
this person that was called before the Lord, he had this great calling, but because he wouldn't obey the Lord, because he really didn't have an interest in submitting to the Lordship of God, what happened is he was removed, and because he was removed, he was common. And what's interesting is, though he was made common, the one who was actually ordained to take its place, the new hot thing that's going up there, is the one who's going to eat it. Did you get that? But just because the one who was taken off that was made common wants to destroy the one who is really ordained. Fast forward to Jesus' day. What's Jesus' problem? Well, you have a religious leadership that just got fired because Jesus has stepped up on the grounds. They stepped on the grounds. They've been pulled off from before the presence of the Lord and they are common because Jesus, who is the proper king, is supposed to take his throne. Here's the problem. Just like Saul, who wasn't interested in submitting, so it was with the religious leaders. They're going to want Jesus dead the same way. See how that all fits together? And the crazy part about it is, let me ask you about you now. Hey, you think you're sitting on the throne? You don't get the option. It's either the enemy or you. I'm sorry. It's either the enemy or Jesus. The enemy would love you to think you're actually the gatekeeper of your own destiny. But truth be told, it really is only the enemy. Because what that happens, when you think you're sitting there, is you refuse to submit to God. And when you don't submit to God, is that really you making that decision? Is that really you came up with that? You're the one who has the final choice. And what he says is, look at you will have to give things up that you don't like, that are going to be dear to you or whatever, but God will never just ask you to forfeit. He will always replace it with something better. But your hands have to be clean and empty before He does. They can't be full of the thing you're still holding on to and expect God to fill it with more stuff because they're full already. And Jesus looks at these guys and He goes, Listen, do you realize what you're saying here? You're actually trying to condemn these guys and you are the same guy as Saul. You're like Saul trying to remove your competition. Really? That's where you want to go with this? He goes, but the Son of Man, He's the Lord even of the Sabbath. And please hear me on this. You know why I can rest when I come to Him? Because He never does. The Bible makes really clear, by the way, that the Lord never sleeps and he never slumbers. And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Understand, he never rests so that I can. That's why Hebrews tells me, unless I enter Jesus' rest, I'll enter no rest at all. So he departed from there and he went into the synagogue and he found a man with a withered hand. When he found a man with a withered hand, what we read, by the way, is in Mark 3, verse 2, that they sought how they could accuse him through this. In Luke 6, 6, we read, by the way, that it's the right hand that was the one that withered. By the way, the one from which a man performs. The one from which a man shows his might, his strength, and his execution. So they ask him, well, is it okay to heal on the Sabbath? And they're trying to nail him again. And Jesus says, let me ask you something. Look at verse 11. What man, what man is there among you who has one sheep and it falls into a pit and won't lay a hold of him and lift him out? Even on a Sabbath. How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? 
He said, you know, by the way, he'll say, by the, by the time he gets to Luke 14, he'll say it'll be an ox as well or a donkey by the time he's in Luke 13. And understand, he's like, okay, so here's the deal. It's a Sabbath and you're not going to work, but your donkey falls into a pit. Are you going to pull him out? Your ox falls into a pit. Are you going to pull him out? Your dog is stuck in a ravine. Are you going to pull him out? Your cat is having a problem. Are you going to help him out? Why would you do that but not help a man? Because they're yours. That's why. Because it's yours, you're going to take care of it. He goes, why am I doing this on the Sabbath? Because they're mine. That's why. And that guy's stuck in a pit right now. This poor guy. What's interesting is in the Gospels of Luke and Mark, you know what Jesus does with this guy? He has him stand up and then he tells him, listen, listen, he tells him to come. Does that sound familiar from the last chapter? This poor man... How would you like to be this guy? Listen, how would you like to be this guy? Where, you know, you've been kind of, you kind of want to hide it. You wouldn't kind of let every people know. And Jesus is going to call your weakness in front of everybody so we can transform it. Now, he's not doing this to be mean to the guy. He's doing this because he loves the guy. And he loves the guy so much that he really, but he also loves these religious leaders and he wants them to know that he can heal them too. He's like, look at, what are you? You're weak. You're mourning. You're helpless in this sense. And he calls him up and he goes, Now everybody, see this weakness. It's time for me to heal it. But let's all come clean now. Do you have anyone at all that you can be genuinely honest about your own weaknesses with? That isn't going to go, yeah, you know, I get it. It's a little weakness or whatever. But genuinely say, we need to take this to Jesus and have him permanently deal with it. Not just let's kind of cover it up a little bit. Let's kind of pretend. But let's take this thing and really get it dealt with so we can forsake it like we should. Do we have anyone like that? Or do we just have soft shoulders? Do we know how dangerous it is to mollycoddle a a sinner in a situation like that? He says, look it. Stretch out your hand. He says, don't you realize, by the way, that even the religious leaders break the Sabbath? And John, they say, hey, they circumcise on the eighth day. Isn't that them working? I mean, if we said nobody could work on a Sunday, you have to go to church, then what do we do in church? Someone's going to be working. Doesn't feel like work. It's required, by the way, to do certain sacrifices on the Sabbath. How come you guys can break the Sabbath and no one else can? You appear at this moment to be working, trying to nail all this down. And he says, listen to this. It, <coughs> excuse me. Verse 13. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. Did you notice the man had to exercise faith? Imagine what it would be like for Jesus to do that. And the guy's like, I can't. And Jesus is like, yes, you can. Yes, you can. And he stretched it out and noticed the word that was there. It was restored. It was restored. Because you realize what happens when God brings you before people like this? It is because He wants to restore you. Jesus has already accused them. Look back at verse 7, and we'll bring this around to close with our last, with the epilogue that Matthew gives us. When they actually, when Jesus says, Have you not read in the Sabbath that you profane the temple and you're blameless because you work? That's pretty evident. 
Numbers 28 tells you that you offer sin, grain, and drink offerings. John 7 says you circumcise your kids on, the, on Shabbat. Verse 7 he says here, though, But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you wouldn't have condemned the guiltless. Back in John, I'm sorry, back in Matthew three chapters ago, 9.13, Jesus is actually feasting with Matthew right after calling him to follow him. Come, come, Matthew, come to me and follow me. Come and follow me. What does he do next? He rests with them in Matthew's house. And it's there that the religious leaders are trying to nail him. And Jesus says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Three chapters later, now goes, you know, if you'd have done your homework, you wouldn't be do- we wouldn't be having this conversation. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So please hear me for just a second, because then we have the epilogue from Isaiah. So hear me. And please stay with me. Stay with me. We're only a few minutes left. Israel divides and has a civil war. We seem to be having a lot of those these days. Superman, Batman, you know, Iron Man, and anyways, you get it. The north divides and ten of those tribes are called Israel. The south is called Judah. The north is going to be taken captive in 721 B.C. And right before they do, God deploys a prophet named Hosea. Hosea means salvation. Yah, like Yahweh, Yahoshua is where we get Joshua or Jesus. And that's just Hosea with, with, with Yah in it. And he says, listen, and please hear me. He prophesies from roughly about 784, roughly about there, 764, down to 722, right before they get taken captive. Here's the crazy part during his time. Hear me, hear me, hear me. That the practices within Judaism were exploding. They were having these worship services that were crazy and loud and people were flailing and they were calling out and they were screaming. There was all kinds of that going on. It increased just astronomically. What they were watching were people, I mean, you'd, if you had to turn it on, you go, what a revival that must be. And they were totally just, oh, yeah, God, oh, God, yeah. I mean, there's all of that. The problem was there was no obedience. They didn't mind the sort of experience with God. They didn't mind the tingles and the shakes and the shivers. They didn't mind that warm fuzzy they get when they're worshiping God. They're like, yes, God, I just really want to feel you. I really want to feel your presence. I want your presence. I need your presence. I want to feel your presence. Oh, I'm going to worship you in your presence. And we get all of this, but God says, there's no worship if you don't say yes to me. If there's no yes in your spirit, there's no worship there. God will actually say, I hate your songs. I hate your practices by this point. Because it's so crazy because you guys look so good on the outside. But that's not what I see. I see your hearts. And what I see is like, you know what? I don't know. Look at God. You what? Give up that? No way. I just want to worship you in your presence. And God's like, stop playing this game with me. Not into this. Nice show. It's great. It's well produced. It's well managed. But let me ask you, where is my obedience? Where is that? So then God says, hey, so this is, you, you want to know how I feel, Hosea? You want to know how I feel? Go marry a whore. Feel what I feel. And he, no matter what he does, he can't, Hosea just can't keep this girl from running. But what's interesting is I kind of get both sides of it. Because on one side of it, God's like, you guys are whoring because though you're trying to get all this experience from me, but you're running out everywhere else for the important stuff. And then there's a part of me that wonders if God actually goes, but let me ask you, between me and you guys, am I the prostitute? 
Am I the one you come in for the quick physical experience, but you go out everywhere else for the intimate, real stuff? Because you thought that was really intimate. But prostitution isn't intimacy. It's just cheap sex. Forgive me for being so blunt. God's like, do you get it? I want a relationship with you. I want you to come to me and, and, and let me be the groom. Let me lead you and let me provide for you and let me care for you. That's what I want. But you're more interested in trying to be the guy and trying to just use me. But what's amazing is how much of it was so, you know, it's like, ah, oh, but if you looked and you saw the experiences people were having. It's like, you know what I, I really, really want? Because what you don't. The first word in Hosea 6, come, let us return to the Lord. Return to the Lord. But we're having these amazing things, these amazing conventions and these, man, the music's hitting and things are crazy and the sacrifices are rising to heaven. He's like, but would you return to me? Stop worshiping worship. Stop just loving to love something, but not loving me. Just because he is torn and he will stricken, but he'll heal us. He will bind us up. Two days he will revive us. On the third day, we will live in his sight. Third day he will raise us up. He's like, death has to happen. But on that third day, there's a whole new life. And that new life's under my lordship. This is, listen, let us know. Let us pursue who God really is, the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established from the morning. He will come like rain and ladder and former rain of the earth. Oh, Ephraim, what shall I do with you, O Judah? Ephraim's the north, Judah the south is what he calls him. Ephraim was the first leader of the northern ten tribes uh, once it's separated. Your faithfulness is like a morning cloud. Oh, it looks great in the morning, but it fizzles away. Like the early dew that goes away. Therefore, I'll hewn them by the prophets. I've slain them by the words of my mouth. And your judgments are like light that goes forth because what I really desire is mercy, not sacrifice. To know me, the knowledge of God, more than burnt offerings. Because I really, really want you to know me. What I really want is for you to, to humbly come to me for my mercy and then issue it to others. That's what I really want. God says, you know, let not the rich man glory in his riches, the mighty in his strength, the wise in his wisdom, but let he who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord exercising mercy and judgment. And in these things I delight. I love showing you mercy. But I can't show mercy to a brazen person who's not interested in dealing with their sin. What's interesting is, Isaiah drops, I'm sorry, Hosea drops off just in time for Isaiah to step up. He starts roughly about that same time now. And he'll take us then. Isaiah, by the way, starts by seeing God on the throne. Which, by the way, usually when God shows that he's on the throne, it's because things are going to get pandemonious. And as they get pandemonious, God wants you to know that even though things are getting crazy, he's still on the throne. 66 chapters to his book. The first 39 are judgment, in essence. Focusing on how man wants to just worship man. He'll come to idols, but he won't come to God. 39 chapters of this. And then from 40 to 66, 29 chapters, 
God then points us to the salvation that comes if we come to him. Interesting, of course, you're probably familiar that there are 39 chapters of the Old Testament and the New. You get that, 27 and New. That's the whole difference there. 39 and 27. And in the same way, the 39, first 39 chapters, God shows us the judgment of, of failing to come to God but wanting everything else. And he keeps saying, but my hand is still outstretched in the midst of all your misery. And you know, I'm like stretching out my hand, but you're still running to this other thing instead. And you're like, yeah, but you don't understand. And God's like, no, you don't understand. Then we get to Isaiah 40. And listen to this. Isaiah 40, 41. And then we get to our text here to close this. He says, comfort my people. He starts, comfort's the word. He says, comfort. Well, why? Because I've pardoned her iniquity. Because I actually really, really want to forgive her sins. And then he says, a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Why do we cry? He says, man, all of his glory fades like this. But my word doesn't. It endures forever. He goes, I come with a strong hand. And he goes, let me tell you what my hand's like. I go, this marks the universe. This holds all the seas. And that's the hand that's going to uphold you now if you come and rest. And he goes, if you're willing to come there, you will rest. And when you rest in me, it'll be like you'll run and not faint, walk and not get tired. You will forever endure. Because that's what happens, is you don't fade when you rest with me. Then he tells chapter 41, and he says, I'm telling the nation, shut up, is what God says. Be silent, is the term he uses here. He says, let me tell you what you would hear. I am the first and the last, and I'll uphold you with that hand. Because I'm your redeemer, your provider, your restorer. Don't you see the emptiness of your idols? Don't you see that everything you're running at? By the way, you're aware that people can be idols, right? Anything that God says something and you're willing to obey something else or choose that over God becomes an idol in your life. When God says, this is the truth, this is what I want, and you're like, yeah, but this is what I'm choosing. It's an idol now. He says, why are you running to that? It's a created thing. I'm the creator. My my hand marks the universe. And I want to uphold you. And you'll never rest anywhere else. And you're exhausted and you're tired and you hate it. Will you rest in me? Because if you'd rest in me, you wouldn't have to run to those idols anymore. And this is God with a broken heart. And then he turns to chapter 42 and he says, listen, it starts with the word behold. Hosea starts chapter 6 with come, and now he says, now behold, behold what? My servant in whom I uphold, my elect one in my, whom my soul delights. I pour my spirit on him, and he'll bring forth justice to Gentiles. He won't cry out in the marketplace. And the words that are used here for cry out and cause his voice to be heard are words that mean argue, debate, scream, yell, be antagonistic. Because you just don't expect my servant to be this because he's not busy trying to scream at the enemy. What he's rather doing is he's coming to take care of this. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoking flax he will not quench. He'll bring forth justice for truth. And listen to this beautiful verse, verse 4. He will not fail nor be discouraged. When was the last time you thought God was discouraged because of your behavior? He was so tired of waiting for you to get it right. You're like, ah, God must be so angry at me. Until he establishes justice in the earth. Please understand here, beloved. When Matthew makes commentary and says, you know, what Jesus did here was in fulfillment. Imagine how Jesus could have blasted those religious leaders when they tried to, when the disciples were feeding themselves. They were enjoying the freedom of being able to eat. 
Imagine how, they could have, how Jesus could have blasted the religious leaders. Instead of exercising his power on a guy to stretch out his hand, Jesus could have stretched out his hand, the hand that marked the universe, and smacked those guys out of the universe. But he didn't. Now, I don't know where you are today, but let me ask you. Are some of you in this room bruised reeds? You know what that is, right? Something that stood tall and strong, but somehow you got hit. You got blindsided. Something came and BAM! It hit you in a way that you were just like, uh, uh, and you were so jilted by it, you can't stand like you used to. People would lean on you. You would support on things. People, people saw you as the sturdy. And now you're like, I just feel so bruised. Here's the good news. He's not here to break you in half. He's here to heal you. And He wants to heal you. Do you know what you need to do for God to heal you? You need to come. Come to Him. Leave everything else and come to Him. Maybe you're the smoking flax. And there was a time when you burned and you were so hot and you were so on fire and it was a good thing. And people saw that light. And man, it was like, things are so clear and I get it now. And it's like, you know, it never seems dark when you're around. But somewhere down the line, you dried up. You kept trying to burn, but you didn't come to be replenished. Now here you are, and you're trying, man. You're trying. You're trying to give light. You're trying to not smoke. You're trying to be on fire. Man, no matter how much you try, it's just not happening. It's like, come. Just come. I want to give you rest. If you're trying to make fire happen, you can't possibly resting. If you're time, trying to just stand strong on your own and trying to be brave and do all that, but in the end of it all, you really hurt and you're not coming to God for that healing. Then you must be exhausted. He says, if you're willing to come, I'm willing to heal. Today. What if today was the day you walked out of here different? You were on fire again. You were strong again. Here's the worst thing. Let's face it. Our bruise read, you could have done it yourself. Sometimes the choices we make bruise us. Sometimes it wasn't you at all. You're like, I'm collateral damage. And what's interesting is that's the whole point in Isaiah, is that when he starts speaking about these bruised reeds and these smoking flax, it was because when God poured forth judgment on a nation, it was like everybody felt it. Everybody. Even the remnant felt it. There was collateral damage for people's sin. And that collateral damage, you're like, hey, I didn't earn this. I didn't do this. I, I, I didn't ask for this. What did I do to contribute this for this? He's like, but this started with, I want to comfort you. I want to comfort you with this. Yeah, man may think he has his day, but it's gone quick. But my word is never going to fade. And I just want you to come and rest with me, please. Jesus' death on the cross, it was to pay for every sin. And we come with Him to leave them there. Not just to have Him gloss over it so we can go back to it. He wants us to submit. Now, there's nothing in our natural body that wants to do that. But He wants that because it's real and genuine, honest surrender. That's what it looks like. And He 
he wants that. They really say, like, you know, you're missing the rest. Man, you need to come clean. And you need to drop your idols. You need to drop your idols and say, you know what, whatever the case, to you be the glory and you alone be the glory. And, and I'm, your, your will be done. There's no way we could say we're worshiping God if we're saying my will be done. So as we go to prayer now, my heart's desire for you and for me is that we will see exactly that now. We will see God transform us. And then we're going to sing a couple more worship songs and dismiss. Pray with me, would you please? God in heaven, ah, this is heavy. This is serious. And this is so much more than just me trying to come and feel cozy. I'm exhausted, God. I've been trying and trying to stay lit. I'm trying to stay strong. And, and it's so easy to think that if I don't, you would reject me. Or you're frustrated or discouraged. And then your word says the opposite. That there are times where you pour forth your judgment on people and there are others that are going to, to feel the feel part of that impact. But you're not here to crush them. You're here to give them rest as they come to you. And God, I pray today for every person here, if there is sin in our hearts, we know that this, whatever the thing is that's an idol, we know by virtue of it being an idol that we shouldn't be holding on to it. And it's hurting people we love. It's hurting our walk with you. And we're quick to buy lies. We're quick to let it influence us. But in the end of it all, we are not right with you and we need to be. On the side of the dirge where we are familiar with our sin, on the side where... We are where we should be mourning and we're not, Lord. I pray that we would be serious about our sin and let you take it. But not just take it so we can refill that slot with more of it, but so that we could forsake it. Give us the power to walk away and give us the desire now to walk away. Please. But on the other side of that too, There is that relationship that bears forth light, that replenishes and restores and strengthens and refreshes. And today, God, you, you want to do that with us. You want to do more than just bolster up the wilted bamboo. Today, you really want to strengthen us and refresh us. And even as we see with this man, restore But that man had to come clean. But we recognize that's you, your job to call forward and your job to transform and restore. And I pray if what we've been really doing is just 
trying to do stuff, but we're not seeking the relationship we should with you. Transform us in that, too. May we see the ugliness of our sins so we could see the magnificence of your grace. If there be any in here who have not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, there's the offer. They've, they recognize today that they need to say yes to this gift because it doesn't, we can't make it up as we go along. We surrender to your terms. Pray this prayer with me right now. God in heaven, I am a sinner. And I have, I stand before you in my sin and I'm guilty. And you've not told me to clean up my act. You've told me to come as I am. But it's to forsake who I've been to let you reinvent me. And I say yes. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. I believe he rose again from the grave on the third day. And because of that, I say yes to you. Declaring Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I give myself to you now. Have me, please. In Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, now, we don't want to, you are not the means to the end, you are the end. So it isn't about us just seeking to, to do something repentant-like so that what we could do is feel peace, feel that refreshment, but rather, God, please, right now, transform it the other way around. Please. As we take time now to just to sing a couple last songs, please, let them be genuine with a genuine and honest yes in our hearts. In Jesus' name.